up a powerful story? I'm Mary DeMuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. The Restory Show, Season 3, Episode 19. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Restory Conference, set on September 16th, which is a Saturday from 8.30 to 1 in the afternoon at Lake Point Church's The Pier in Rockwall, Texas. And I'm really excited about this year's conference. It's going to be all about restoring and restoring your relationships. So if you have been struggling with a relationship or there's one that's kind of hanging on or there's pain from past relationships that prevents you from having joy today, please come to the Restory Conference. Seating is limited, so uh, if you'd like to get your ticket now, be a good idea, therestoryconference.eventbrite.com. I would love to see you there. And I'd also appreciate it if you'd write a quick little review of the Restory Show so that we can uh, have it expand and have more people listen to these amazing stories. Uh, If you would like your story shared as well, just hop on over to marriedmuth.com. And on the right-hand side, there's a little gray box that has a microphone in it, and you can record your story up to four minutes, and I'll add it to a future episode of the Restory Show. So today, I am welcoming Anastasia Hansel. She's the widow of Tim Hansel, who wrote the book, You Gotta Keep Dancing, which is one of my most favorite books of all time. And she is a fascinating person, and um, she has not allowed retirement to retire her vision for the kingdom of God. And, And I don't want to share much more than that because I just want you to fall in love with her and meet her. So let's go ahead and listen to Anastasia. Hey everyone, it's Mary with The Restory Show, and I'm really excited to have Anastasia Hansel today with me on The Restory Show. And we actually met in person at the Mount Hermon Christian Writers Conference this year. And I was super excited about meeting her because she had been married to one of my heroes of the faith and one of those books that I kept around forever. The book was called You Gotta Keep Dancing by Tim Hansel, and uh, she had been married to him. So I was really excited to meet her. And Anastasia, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. So give us, uh, give the readers, or readers, I'm so used to being a writer, give the listeners (laughs) a snapshot of kind of where you grew up and and bring us to uh, present day and and give us a, a little clue about who you are. Right. So I always ask people when they ask me, where's my, where's my home? I always um, seem to say, well, which version do you want? Do you want the bullet version? Do you want the edited version? Do you, are you really, you really want to hear the story, you know, where life has taken mm-hmm. me? So anyway, I'll try and just give you little snapshots as Mary has suggested. I feel like, uh, the adventure coach in me is what I've been known to be an adventure coach was really born when I was on my way to the Congo DRC as a toddler. And we have this great Kodak moment where I am going down the barge on the Congo river with one of those white safari helmets on. And I'm a little toddler and I have this great big bow in the back of my, you know, little outfit but there I am going down the Congo River looking out the vast unknown and that's been what my life has been like I I love the term saying yes at the edge of the unknown because that has truly been the story of my life living living in that uh, 
parenthesis of time. But so I, I lived in the, in the Congo for the first 13 years of my life. I went to an all speaking French school, um, girls school in Brussels, Belgium. And so at a very early age, I learned how to speak French fluently. And it's really been, a, a, was a great part of, I think, God's plan for my life because my vocal cords were still forming. And uh, so I speak French with a French accent, which has been a huge asset because of my work in the Congo DRC as a French speaking country. Uh, so that was one of those things where you just go, okay, I guess God knew, you know, the end, the beginning with the end. But growing up in the Congo and um, working, uh, living, um, actually going to all French speaking school. And I'm going to share a a merely Zednik little piece because it I will be revisiting this when I talk about where life has taken me since then later on the part that Mary's wants to zero in on but it's because it's it kind of captures my 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 home life as well as where I went to school because here I was in Congo and in Brussels and not in the United States but ethics ran high in our home a lie was tantamount to treason. Everyone told the truth in our home about everything except feelings. A lady never shows her temper. Big girls don't cry. Nice girls don't think that way. Now where's that pretty smile? I didn't cheat in school or take what wasn't mine. But oh, how many times I lied about the feelings I hid inside. So I learned at a very early age to lie about the feelings I hid inside. I remember when my father <clears throat> walked out the door at that all French speaking girls school, you know, they stood at their desks immediately the minute anybody in authority walked into the room and the, the seats were hard and cold. And I was this little American girl. And, and when my dad walked out the door asking me, Anastasia, are you all right? There was, there wasn't a, there's no way I had to just immediately lie about the scared, terrified feelings that I hid inside. And that seems to have, have been a pattern for me as I um, kept on throughout life. But we uh, had to evacuate in 1960. The, the Congo was a country at war. They were wanting their independence from Belgium. And so there was a terrifying moment where all the Belgian military trucks came just steaming into our mission compound saying all women and children get on the trucks right away. And so that was a defining moment for me as I looked at my French dolls that were on my bed and I had a pet chimpanzee named Zamba <laughs> that I had to say goodbye to. And it was like, I knew I, this, this, this was, this life was going to be gone. And so we got on the three ton trucks and we were driven through the night to French Equatorial Africa, where the United States Air Force met us in the C-124 Globemaster, their huge military cargo planes, and they flew us to Wiesbaden, Germany. And so I know the life of, of a refugee, of having to flee everything that you know is called home, and looking out the vast unknown again. But um, so we came off that, that huge, big military cargo plane, and there were all the tents and all the shampoos and all the soap and everything that you needed because you you had to leave with nothing uh, you couldn't carry anything with you so that was and then we went on to the United States and I have said to so many people that coming into the United States culture as a 13 year old 
it was like I had walked, stepped out of a black and white photograph and I was immediately immersed in the technicolor lifestyle of the American high school student. I mean, I had never seen anything like it. It was thousands. I was, I was used to going to a one-room one schoolhouse, and this was thousands of teenagers in this high school. And, um, you know, immediately, I'm, I'll never forget. I mean, they, they had sororities and fraternities in this high school, and I didn't know a person. But I'll never forget the day that the, um, the head song girl of this huge high school came up to me. In my, I was at my locker. And she wanted to know if I wanted to be in their in her sorority. Well, I didn't even know what a sorority was, you know. So I was just like, um, it was a very, very steep learning curve for me. But I learned that in this culture, in the United States culture, the things that are of value are possessions. What do I have? Performance. What do I do? Position. How important am I? And appearance, what do I look like? And that was just not a part of my upbringing at all. I mean, who cared in the Congo if buttons didn't match or if you had a spot on your dress or nobody was asking you how important you were. Or I, it was just, it, it was amazing to step into this culture and see, see the values of this culture. I went to, um, so I went to high school. I went to UC Berkeley. If you can imagine this, I left the war in the Congo and entered into UC Berkeley during the 60s, which was also a war zone. And uh, so it was just like, I'm going, whoa. It was amazing. And I started dating a guy there that went to MIT and to Harvard and um, truly lost my faith at that point. I was interested in, um, I, I didn't, I was rejecting the Christianity that I knew about. My parents were missionaries in the Congo. They were tremendous leaders, but it was my parents' faith. And um, I needed to find my own way. And so I pretty much rejected Christianity when I was at Berkeley. And um, was uh, it was, I feel like it was it was also during my junior year there that the, I was ambushed by the Christ, really through the Ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ at the time. And they they really wanted me to uh, go down to Arrowhead Springs to their leadership conference. I wasn't even interested. But at the same time, um, a lot of those student leaders at Cal uh, were involved with Crusade. And so I thought, you know what, I just think I'm going to go. Well, that was a, that was truly a turning point in my life. I gave my my life completely over to the Lord. I was headed for Columbia University because I wanted to work internationally, possibly with the United Nations. But all of a sudden, I just thought, you know what? I just want to graduate from college. I want to go on staff with Campus Crusade and work with other confused college women as I had been. And so um, I went on staff with Campus Crusade, got married had two little boys and um, they were, they were absolutely the focus of my life for many years, my, my boys. And I guess what I'd like to, what I'd like to share is that um, in terms of, of the, the restory part of this, I was in a marriage, a Christian marriage, both on staff with Campus Crusade for 24 years and yet it wasn't a marriage. And it, it also, it was so difficult 
because divorce was not even, you couldn't even think about getting a divorce during that era of Christendom. If you got a divorce, it was like getting the scarlet A, you would be rejected. Um, you were booted out of the camp. Um, it, it was just not, it was not okay. And so what, what that, because I knew that was true, Thankfully, I loved being a mom. Being a wife was what was very difficult for me because it it really wasn't a marriage. And um, so I had to, um, you know, there's, I, I really thought about over the years where life has taken me that there's three different kinds of pain and suffering. And one is corrective pain and suffering. Another one is constructive pain and suffering. And another is courageous pain and suffering. And uh, with corrective pain and suffering, it's when we truly basically sin. There's sin in our lives. And no sin escapes consequences. And we escape, we experience the consequences of, of that sin. And uh, so having gone through a divorce, I had become the princess of pretending um, during those years. I remember watching... Um, Oprah one time and she had on a uh, Fergie at the time and she she was talking about Princess Di and she said Princess Di was just much better at pretending at being a princess than I could be and I thought I thought to myself you know I have been the ultimate princess of pretending and back to that little thing that I shared initially how I learned to lie about the feelings that I hid inside there was no room in Christendom for me at that time to truly let it be known what was going on inside of me. I did was doing a lot of speaking and uh, women's conferences at uh, retreats and they loved the speaking because I was so honest, but I could not be honest about my marriage relationship. I just, uh, it was just, you know, it wasn't okay. And so, but I do remember reading in Psalms, um, one of the Psalms, saying that thou dost desire truth in our inner hearts. And I was pretending I wasn't speaking the truth and uh, I was lying about how I, I really felt. And so I went through a divorce and um, it was an extremely painful time um, because I experienced the consequences. Um, and I, I've written somewhere that I know what it feels like to be greeted with cool cordiality. I know how it feels to not be invited, to be removed from the guest list, to be treated as though I was invisible. I remember I was supposed to be a keynote speaker at this conference, uh, women's conference, and um, you know, was called and it was canceled. I had taken a team of women. World Vision had hired me to um, found and develop Women of Vision with World Vision. And um, we'd gone. I'd taken a team of women to Kenya. There was an award-winning photojournalist from the LA Times that came with us. And uh, she, because of her, we had full color coverage on our way back, coming back in the LA Times three days in a row, full color coverage of our, of our trip. And World Vision wanted to do a whole article on me following that trip. And yet the article was canceled because I was going through a divorce. I mean, it was just, it was just like, and I knew if I had kept on pretending all of this, all of this would have just gone forth just fine. 
but but nobody would have known how I was lying about you know the feelings that I hid inside. So I I lived in that cage of pain in that I call it for 24 years in my first marriage. So let me let me ask you a quick question. So in that you were there for 24 years. Was there a straw that broke the camel's back for you? Of because you knew that going forward in a divorce was good. you you kind of knew what was going to happen. Um, so that kept you kind of staying in, but what, what was it for you that you finally said, this is enough. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Well, I was, um, began to get my master's in global leadership from Fuller Seminary because I was very involved in, uh, working with women internationally, uh, globally. And, um, I remember one night coming home and, you know, it's like I was a woman that ran 10 circuses and ran them all well. Some some women run 10 circuses and they don't run them well. But, you know, I have just been blessed with energy and vision and passion and I um and a calling from God and I just um and my but I was married to a man who you know, it's like I was it was that time in life where you could not outshine your man. It was very important that you you that he's he's the one that's the star you know, or whatever. And so it's kind of tricky, you know? So I would say, I, I would feel like, well, I can't be an A kind of a person. I have to be kind of like a C minus, you know, this kind of thing. So there are only, there were certain things that I could do. And one of the things that I could do was I began leading all women's cycling, cycling events. I took a team of women. We cycled across the United States for victims of domestic violence, did a number of cycling venues that seemed to be okay. But I think what, so I was taking these courses um, at, at Fuller Seminary, beginning to get my master's in global leadership. And I just remember one night coming home and he, um, I just think the whole thing of uh, having sex with somebody that you really aren't that in love with. I just, I would do it out of duty. I would, sometimes I said, I would just, it would be like you doing lunch with somebody, you know, you just, I would just do it because I knew that's what a good Christian wife will do. And I never wanted it said of me that I did not meet my husband's needs, you know? So I just remember this one night I came back from a fuller class and, and, um, he had set out, you know, whatever. And it sounds really, really good. You know, the candles and whatever, and I just remember I walked in the door and it's like what you said, there was this moment. It's like this, this, this little girl. I know at the time they, they used that statement, how the little girl just stood up and it's mm-hmm. like the inside of me, the little girl just stood up and I thought, I don't have to do this anymore. And that was the line. I just said, I don't have to do this. In other words, I don't have to keep pretending, even having sex with somebody that I really don't love. And uh, so I, I, <laughs> there was a time where they, we had these long lawns, nightgowns, you know, head to shoulder, I mean, from the shoulder to the floor. And I decided that night, that's what I was going to wear. And I was not going to sleep in bed with him I was so at that point that's where I just said I'm not I'm not doing this anymore I'm not going to keep pretending so it was the beginning of you know it takes courage to be strong and it takes strength to be courageous and um, pain 
you know, I work with a lot of victims of domestic violence and I work with rape warfare survivors and whatnot. And, you know, there's pain staying in it and there's pain getting out of it. It's almost like a trade-off pain. And so I just decided I'm not going to keep living a lie. I just can't. It says in the Psalms, thou this desire truth in our inward being. And the truth was, I no longer wanted to be in a marriage that wasn't a marriage. So I, I said to him that I really, I really wanted to begin to proceed with a divorce. And you see, in the Christian world, they want us to be broken, but they want us to be appropriately broken. <laughs> That's a good way to say it. <laughs> and some of these are inappropriate. Divorce at the time was an inappropriate way to be broken. And I just, um, so I just thought, you know what, and well, the good part of all this is that in going through and definitely experience the consequences, like I said, but in going through getting a divorce, I left the world of being what I call a judgmental Christian. And I entered, I began to become a grace driven Christian. And um, that's who I want to be. And I don't want to be like the letters and the things that people wrote me and just the, the accusations or whatnot, or the, you know, treating me the way I was treated, like I didn't exist or get her off the list. She's no longer invited. She's, I just thought, I don't want to be that way with other people that are, that are having a hard time. I want to be a grace driven Christian. And when I, when I entered Fuller Seminary, they asked me at the time, they said, who's, who's a, Christian leader out there right now that you really respect. And I said, I really respect Beth Moore. And the reason I respect her is because she's not perfect. She freely has shared her, her sexual abuse issues that she's struggled with all of her life. And there was a time where you wouldn't dare talk about that. You know, you had to pretend like you were perfect and I no longer wanted to be perfect. I wanted to be who I was and be the grace-driven Christian. That totally makes sense. And so when you, you started to experience all this gracelessness and uh, kind of the underbelly of not making the, all the choices everyone wants you to make, you had how long of a period of time before you even entertained the idea of dating again? Well, I... Um, I uh, let me see. I was in a 24-year marriage. My first marriage was 24 years. And then I uh, got a divorce. And then uh, a year later, I married Tim Hansel. So that was so fast. <laughs> Very fast. Very, and yet I had known him. I had known him for years before. You know, So there, there was a friendship um, uh, built in there. But what was... What was truly so amazing then was to move from uh, having experienced corrective pain and suffering. And I do love to share Frederick Beekner's quote because this is, this is truly um, what happens, that even the saddest things, once we have made peace with them, become a source of wisdom and strength for the journey ahead. And there, that clause in there, once we have made peace with them, it takes it takes time. It doesn't just happen, you know. And it took time of of spending time alone with the Lord to allow God to, you know, 
I resonated with um, Hagar, you know, I felt like I was in the wilderness and it was when Hagar was in the wilderness that God came to her and she was the first one to name God Elroy and which is the God who sees me. And I knew that, that God, God saw me. And uh, I have often said that, you know, every saint has been a sinner and every sinner has a future. So, you know, there's hope. There's hope. But but, but the uh, Frederick Buechner quote that even the saddest things, once we have made peace with them, become a source of wisdom and strength. And that's that's truly what I experienced as I move forward. And then in marrying Tim Hansel, yes, it was very, very controversial um, because he was a huge name in the Christian industry and he had gone through a divorce. And yet he was absolutely the greatest gift in my life. Um, he became my lifetime coach. I Here I was working with World Vision, giving leadership to a worldwide ministry with women. And none of them knew Tim Hansel because so many of them were non-Christians that we worked with. And they just, you know, and I... I Directed that work for about five years, but then they I, I left that position when I married Tim, and they could not believe it. It was like some of them said, you've got to be kidding me. You are leaving this position of where you're working with women worldwide, and you are marrying a man who lives in chronic pain, you know. And, um, but they had no clue that Tim Hansel was his own world vision, that Tim Hansel, through his writing and his speaking, was reaching people worldwide. And so um, I, um, you know, moved. Yeah. And I and I it was I mean, I was married to Tim Hansel for 17 years. And that was during that era that I really learned a lot about the value of constructive pain and suffering, enabling us to understand what other people are going through, because I was I've just been filled with God has blessed me with health all my life. And here I am, I'm taking care of a man who lives in chronic pain. And then I, I um, took care of his bedridden mother for six of those years. And so God had me on a steep learning curve, learning about physical pain issues um, was just huge, huge for me. And what it's like being a caregiver who, um, like I memorized Job 3 at the time, why is life given to a man? And I said to the Lord, why is life given to Anastasia? Uh, why is health given? Why is energy given? Why is vision given? Why is passion given? Whose way is hidden? It was like I was living in this question mark for 17 years, whom God has hedged in. I felt like I was handcuffed to an anchor um, in my in my husband's ongoing need for, for um, care. It says, for sighing comes to me instead of food, for groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me, and, and that's that daily relinquishment. And I've written this little piece called, Is This Where I Was Going? You know, um, what I dreaded has happened to me. So it was, um, it was, those were hard years but they were good years and that I learned, I learned the depth of, and I was married to an incredible man, but in that, you know, it was, it was very, very difficult um, because of the pain and suffering that I saw him go through. But what I learned, he exemplified a life of courageous pain and suffering. And I feel so often it's like when, uh, when Jesus was in the garden you know, and was <laughs> kind of going, really, do I have to do this? You know, do I, 
Lord, can I just get away from doing this? And yet God just said to him, you know, this is why, this is why you've come to earth. And so Jesus, like, it's like he said, all right, you know, so let's get on with the program then. If this is what I'm supposed to do, then let your name be glorified. And that's courageous pain and suffering. It's kind of like, okay, Lord, if this is, if this is the life that you've given to me, then let your, let my life glorify you, you know? So then that's, um, so I lived with Tim and saw that happen. And, um, so I've, uh, learned a lot. Does that make sense? It does. It makes a lot of sense. I think I, I was just interviewing someone that talked about how they had a similar story. First, first marriage, ended second marriage is teaching her about the grace of God in ways that she never understood until she was married to that second person. And uh, it was a really great story and, and important. And I think we do through the, through our relationships, relationships, we begin to see glimpsing parts of God that we might not have seen before. And so I'm grateful that you're able to recount some of the things that you've learned from Tim. Um, he, he passed away in what year? passed away in 2009 and um what i learned since then because uh, i was the, the widow i was widowed so i've lived as a, lived as a widow for seven years and um you know i i think of in daniel um when the shadrach meshach and abednego were facing the fiery furnace their strong one was daniel okay well daniel was not with them. He was in the palace. But when they were having to face the fiery furnace, they said, we will not bow down. And that was a way of them saying, we're stepping up and we're not going to, we're not going to bow down. And, and what I share with people is that when your strong person is no longer with you, then you have to make the choice whether you're going to step up or not. You know, you're going to, mm. and I, my parents were missionaries. I just alluded to them, but they were missionaries, major leaders in Africa for years. Well, my mother died when I was 21 and my father lived then for another 30 years and he did not step up in his walk with the mm. Lord. My, he lost, my mother was the strong one. And when she died, it's like, he just, he did not step up. And um, he, he died an angry, bitter old man. And it's, just, it's, it's probably why I just am passionate at this stage of life that I just, uh, my, my message to people, you know, later on in life, I know that we live in a culture that talks about retirement is the time to amuse ourselves to death. And I'm just, I'm never going to go down that path. I just, um, I, what I do is I challenge audiences to, to make the choice not to live a life of complacency, to make the choice to continue to keep your, keep your choices on the edge, on the growing edge, and know the dangers of spiritual plateauing. And we, can, we all can spiritually plateau at any point in life. It's our choice. And I saw that happen in my family where my dad just decided not to step up and he spiritually plateaued. And, you know, it's, it was so sad. It was so sad because he, he never was who he used to be. Well, that's one of the things I really appreciate about you and why I had you come on the Restory show today, because you are feisty and gutsy <laughs> and, uh, and you're not going to stop. And, 
And I think in our culture these days, we tend to glorify youth and the strength of youth as the time when you're supposed to go out and make a difference in the world. And that's important. We need to do that. But we have marginalized the next generation, the older generation, and we've we we have kind of given up um, in terms of just retirement is just okay I get to relax for the rest of my life now I paid my dues and now I'm gonna lay around and not do anything and I just keep thinking as the future unfolds for me personally I think there's so much more to do there's so many more people to reach for Christ there's and there's so there's such a huge need for wisdom in the church that even though um, the culture does not value age and wisdom the church absolutely should it doesn't all the time, but it should. It should be the greatest champion of 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 wiser folks who are are going out there and making a difference in the lives of others. So I commend you for for not stopping and for continuing to lead bike trips overseas. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do now. Well, I I have led all all women's cycling venues for the past thirty years. I did take a team of women. We cycled across the United States for victims of domestic violence cycled 80 miles a day for six weeks. I took a team of women to Rwanda, Africa. Uh, there, were, there were three tribes of women on bikes at the time. We had Rwandan women on bikes. We had Congolese rape warfare survivors that came across the border to get on bikes. And then we had women from the U.S. And we were cycling. We cycled for 40 miles through the land of a thousand hills. Um, and, but now I've been doing a major cycling venue in Seattle. Um, there's about 1,300 1, women that we – it's called Cycle the Wave, and it's women against violence everywhere. And what I specifically cycle for are solar lights that, that um, charge mobile devices because these are incredible um, for women in under-resourced parts of the world where – there's no electricity or electricity is erratic. And for a woman, can you imagine everybody in these countries has got cell phones and you go, really? Now, where are you charging your cell phone? And usually they have to get on a bike and get to a storefront, which takes a while, or they have to walk, which can take an hour or two to get to a storefront to charge your cell phone. So for a woman in a hut to have her own solar light, which not only gives light and the sun is free, so she can charge her cell phone, her, her solar light, but it also charges cell phones. So she can make, you know, she can charge five cell phones in a day and make 500 francs, 100, 100 francs per cell phone. So it becomes a tremendous um, income producing for women in these under-resourced parts of the world. So uh, that's something that we, that we cycle. And even now we're, we're doing, uh, I call them ride and shine 500. And uh, we're going to try and raise 500 solar lights to be sent to the Congo DRC uh, in September. Uh, There's always a goal, you know, to do do something like that. But um, I was going to share that, Something that really, I think, really uh, began to define my choices. Um, like I said, my mom died when I was 21. But I, I have, when I was in a young mother and raising these two little munchkins, um, I uh, read an article by um, Rose Kennedy. And it was titled, My Life at 90. 
And it talked about where life had taken her throughout her years. And she ended the article by saying that one legacy I wish to leave, and that is that old age need not be feared. It can be rich and rewarding, but the qualities of our later life will be determined by the lives we have already shaped. And that's such wisdom in that, because you do not automatically wake up at the age of 85, a tremendously interesting person, if nothing has gone into your life. And so I think that that's something that um, it's, it's, it's helped keep my rudder straight or whatever, you know, or my compass pointed to true north as I walk through life, uh, knowing that um, I just want to keep being somebody who is life-giving as I walk through life. And a huge, huge, huge factor, I know that Paul Trenier wrote uh, this great book on, on uh, getting old. And he, he defines it in there, and it's really true. There's two types, two categories as we get older. And one is people that are still healthy. Our health is truly what begins to define what we're able to take on. And I have been blessed with health. And it's I do not take it for granted um, because I know so many other people my age are dealing with huge issues. And um, I just feel it's almost like I've been given a gazillion dollars. I don't have money at all, but I have health. And, um, and so I just feel like it's, it's, it's a resource that God has given and um, I, I just want to be somebody who, um, I, I love that verse in Second Chronicles that says that the men of Issachar were men who understood the times with the knowledge of what God would have them to do. And I have wanted to be a woman who understands the times with the knowledge of what God would have me to do in my little corner of the world. So how has, you know, it's, in the past year, how has God kind of changed your story a bit or given you a restory? Well, a huge restory is that, I mean, I was married to a man who was a prolific writer and a fabulous speaker. And so you think, I can't do that. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not Tim Hansel, you know, but it's almost like, I've had to get over it, you know. Uh, it's kind of, it's almost like it has moved from I'm not a writer, I can't I can't do this to a calling. It has become a calling, and and I'll tell you what my advice to anybody would be: there's there's no replacement for time alone with the Lord, because it's in that time alone with the Lord that our soul is nourished. When people ask me, where do you get your ideas? Where do you get your joie de vivre? Where do you get your... And it's in that time alone with the Lord that my soul is empowered with courage. I mean, I, I have as much fear as anybody does to do the things that I do, you know, but I think of that acrostics for fear that it's... F-E-A-R can so stand for false evidence appearing real. And and the um, what's so good about God's word is that um, the truth about you is what God's word says about you. And so when I read God's word and allow him to speak to me, that is he infuses me with courage and with passion and with a go-for-it attitude. And it's the God of all creativity. I've never wanted to be anybody else, but I wanted to be who God's called me to be. And so I constantly ask for creativity and wisdom in, in what I do. So that's, that's, a, that's, that's happened just this year for me in terms of 
Okay, so I'm going to go, um, you know, like all of a sudden I thought about, wait a second, I speak at these Mount Hermon Legacy Conferences? I think they have writers' conferences. And then I'm going, when is it? You know, and you know the story. And I just been going, yikes, it's going to be right when I'm already going to be up there. You're kidding me. But I don't know a single soul. And so um, that's when I, I did, um, I emailed one editor that was one of Tim's favorite editors. And so she suggested you, Mary. She said, I, I would sign up for all of Mary DeMuth's tracks. So I said, that's what I'm going to do. So and then, so then I met you, and um, you know, it's kind of like I've, I've never ever. You know how that conference is? There's hundreds of people coming, all these agents, all these editors, all these authors. I didn't know a single soul, but I, but I know, I knew that God would go before me, and I've, I've never been somebody who, you know, how some people they talk about they know how to work the crowd. I've never wanted to be somebody who works the crowd, but I have wanted to be somebody who walks by faith and sees God engineer circumstances. And that's exactly what he did at this conference, because I could never have met the agent that I did who said to me, I want you to send me a book proposal. And I could never have, have made that happen. So God engineered those circumstances. It is only he does. And I was able to meet you. And if I had money, I would sign up for everything that you you offer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's been that's how he's restoring my life, and that I'm going. I need to write. I need to write. Yeah, and I need to trust the God of all creativity that uh, he will. And it it truly was incredible because this the agent that I spoke to said, okay, he said this. He said first of all. He said, because um, all of my endorsements were at the back of my little, whatever, little packet that I was, I think I gave you one. And this one woman who knows his agent really well, she said, he's the one that you, you need to make an appointment to see. And I said, well, I'm not going to force it to happen. But she said, and he needs to see your endorsements right away. And so I, she said, I said, really? She said, yeah. And so when I met with him, I said, okay, she told me to show you my endorsements right away it was so cute and and so he looked at them he said your endorsements are over the moon and and he looked at the one from johnny erickson todd and he said this is this is the name this is what you need to call your book when god calls a woman and he says this is what i want you to do and he said i want you to think of a, a two-day women's conference and he said what would you put in that two-day women's conference and he and and I and he said that's your book. I went, oh my gosh! It all of a sudden took the world of impossible into wow. I could do that. I think I could do that. You know, so it's um, that's what I'm kind of uh, um, trusting God for now that I'm going to put together. And again, I I'm not into big. Like I like what this statement, I have big dreams, but I think small in a sense, you know, and so I'm going to invite people that are, I think it was suggested that we have a prayer team. And so different people have said they'd like to be a part of the prayer team. So I thought I'm just going to ask them to come. Maybe they'll just be five people at this women's conference. That's okay. And I love that. I always say to people, I do what I do to an audience of one. I mean, I've said that way before we heard that at the conference, you know. But that's true. It's it's not about the numbers. And um, so 
Um, but I want them to help me be a part of my critique team to help get, help me be better, you know, at this craft because I feel a little insecure. <laughs> well, and uh, it's so fun just to hear that uh, there could be a book out on the shelf someday because of this. And so I'm so grateful. And I'm grateful for your story from, you know, the Democratic Republic of Congo and Parler Francais and all of that up to today and uh, solar powered lights and uh, chargers. So thank you so much, Anastasia, for sharing your story with the Restory listeners today. I'm, I'm so grateful. Thank you for your story. Thanks for listening to the Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord, for those who are discouraged that they feel like they can't do what they want to do in the kingdom, I pray that Anastasia's example would just give us all kind of a holy gumption to know that as long as our feet are on this earth, we have work to do for your kingdom. And that work doesn't have to be like tangible work. It could be that we become prayer warriors for others, or we send cards to people who may be discouraged, or whatever it it means that your Holy Spirit is saying to us in the moment. And that's really about what our walks with you is about, is just this continual moment-by-moment conversation with the Holy Spirit. So for those who are discouraged and feel like they can't measure up to standards or or whatever, I just pray that you would inspire, inspire all of us that um, we have a, a job to do and you are going to inspire us and help us to do that job. Um, help us not to become lazy and complacent as we age. Instead, help us to become expectant and hopeful and dependent on you. Um, thank you that, that every day we have the opportunity to grow closer to you and grow wiser and Help us just to revel in that instead of worrying about the future. Thank you, Lord, that you are not the God of worry, but that you are the God of peace, and we can lay all of our burdens down at your feet, and we just choose to do that right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you'd like more information about today's show, head on over to marydemuth.com forward slash restory 3-19, and may you live a brand new story this week.